Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right to the phone. And joining us is Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing great. And this has to be such a conflicted time for you because there's so many good fishing bites going on right now. You know, a lot of people talk about the dog days of summer. To me, that's different times of the year just mean I have to change maybe what I fish for or how I fish or where I fish. But there is great fishing going on. Yet if we're going to be true to what you and I talk about year-round on this show, about being ready for hunting, it's coming up fast, and you really have to devote time to the hunting. You really do, Terry, and you couldn't have said it more. You know, we'll kind of touch base on the fishing, then we'll get into the hunting because it's definitely that time. But, you know, on the fishing, I literally got to the point where I was almost lecturing people this week. And everybody's like, hey, sorry, don't get mad at me. I, you know, I heard the dog days of summer probably a dozen times this week. And I I don't blame people because there are certain species that right now are tough. But I talked to you about this, you know, in Colorado where we have such an amazing variety of sport fish that we always have something strong. So I tell anglers all the time, you know, don't let your your mind kind of tell you, hey, I really want to catch trout, so I'm going to go trout fishing. I said, play the calendar. If you really want to experience all that Colorado has to offer, hit each species in their peak. You know, like right now, I love throwing jerk baits for walleye, and that bite has just started. I love throwing reaction baits for walleye. That bite has started. I don't think anybody in the world doesn't enjoy watching a giant northern pike blow up a buzz bait. That bite is going. So, you know, some species, you know, maybe conventional tackle for trout on, on, a, on a hot, sunny day, midday, that bite's tough. But there's so many other bites. Play the strength and, and really take advantage of the hot bite. So, again, reactionary fishing for walleye right now, day and night, is fantastic. Spinner baits and buzz baits for big pike. That bite is going extremely strong. So there are, there are you know, the bass topwater bite with all the new fresh weed growth is extremely strong. So long story short, play your strength, go to where the fish are hot, um, and take advantage of it. And then by golly, when you're done fishing, get out there and scout for the upcoming hunting season. I couldn't agree more. Dog days uh, usually means the fish have all settled into summer patterns. And once you figure out what's going on, they're going to stay that way for two, three weeks. And like you said, fish a different method or a different species or a different type of water, and there's a hot bite all year long in Colorado. You should never have a dog day where you can't find a good fishing. In fact, we're going to talk later on the show about the white bass. Boy, they're going just off the charts. But let's talk some hunting. Absolutely, Terry. You know, so we have everything going. Pronghorn archery season literally starts in less than two weeks. So, I mean, that that is one of the hot topics. It's one of those things that, you know, I think it's highly enjoyable. Colorado has an amazing population of pronghorn. We also have some very big pronghorn. And as the, the concept of pronghorn hunting is seemingly increasing, right? New Mexico draw, Arizona draw is up in the 20-point range, so 20-plus years to draw a tag. Colorado still has over-the-counter archery tags. So as pronghorn grows more popular in, in the concepts of hunting, now is the time to hunt them because we have such available opportunity to do that here in Colorado. So we're scouting for pronghorn. Um, literally, where the elk and deer are right now is where they're going to be on the upcoming opener of archery comes September 2nd. It's going to be where they're at come muzzleloader. So if you're an archery hunter or muzzleloader, you should be full in the, the swing of scouting and getting ready for that season. The patterns are holding true. The bedding grounds are holding true. The water sources are holding true. Um, so everything's happening. And then this week, I spent a ton of time with my kids um, on their shotgunning. We, I just got the twins shotguns, um, and they're getting ready for their very first dove season this fall. So, uh, you know, I think uh, dove is probably that, that upland bird that always goes by the wayside, right? We never practice for it, but yet we all go out on opening day. And if much of you are like me, you know, your ratio of shells to dove 
is not quite where you want it. You know, ideally you're like one, two shells for a dove, uh, but most of us are like a half a box per dove. Um, you know, yeah, I, so think, I think, Nate, out there and- Nate I, I have to interrupt you. I think taking children dove hunting is child abuse. <laughs> we are going to have a ball. It's going to be great. So we're practicing for that. No, so we have everything underway. You know, uh, and uh, dove hunting is what a fantastic way to introduce kids to hunting upland game and shotgunning. And, you know, there's places like Bar Lake where you can actually go and the hunting may be a little slower than other places, but where you can set up with a few kids, you're not traipsing all over, and yet you're going to get some shots. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about scouting for doves, there's two concepts that I want to touch base on today. Number one, that I don't think a lot of people scout doves. They don't go out and see where they're at. They go out opening day, and then they're like, oh, you know, we're good or bad. And with the concepts of dove, you have options of hunting a food source. So you're out in some sort of grain field, sunflowers or millet or, you know, some sort of grain. Or you have concepts of hunting water sitting by a pond and letting the birds come to you after they fed or sitting in a row of trees where they're going to roost. So there's really three concepts of that. And I encourage you, well, get out there, see where the doves are at, see how many there are, you know, understand, is it better to hunt water or grain, you know, or food um, or obviously a, a roosting site. So think about that. But the two concepts here are number one, scout for the doves. But number two, when you talk about deer, you talk about pronghorn, when you go to the average ranch in East Eastern Colorado, right? You go to a farm, you go to a ranch, and you say, hey, I'd like to to big game hunt your property. A lot of that property is utilized by outfitters. You know, there's a lot of money in the big game hunting world, and a lot of ranchers, whether it's already outfitted or they're not comfortable with high-power rifles or archery equipment, very few farmers say no to dove hunters. So this is one of those things that we talk about the public land, like Bar Lake and all of our amazing state wildlife areas, but at the, the true retrospective things, if you go out to eastern Colorado, you find an area where you have a lot of doves, and you politely go knock on a farmer or rancher's door this next week, right, in the next two weeks, and you say, hey, you know, myself or my buddies or my family, you know, we notice you have a lot of doves. We're wondering, you know, if there's an opportunity to ever dove hunt your place, if we can, you know, trade you and help you with some work around, the, you know, the farm in trade for some dove hunting, very rarely do I get turned down. I've done a lot of this to where I've went out and just said, hey, you know, you have a, a great crop. We'd love to dove hunt your property. And if you ask now and say the season is coming in a month or, you know, three weeks, the odds of you getting access is pretty high. If you show up on opening day wearing camo saying, hey, we'd love to come on your property, that's the type, you know, kind of interaction or approach that isn't as successful. So if you don't have a place to dove hunt and you want to hunt, you know, private ground or a ranch, I think now is the time to get out there and do that. Um, we, we see so much success uh, in that kind of option, and that's part of the scouting. Find the birds, find property, plan a hunt, um, and get ready. Do some, uh, you know, some warm-up shotgunning and be prepared for that, and, you know, go get your shells now while they're readily available. And, you know, there's we do have walk-in access programs that many of them include dove hunting, uh, so there are opportunities out there for dove hunting, and I do kid about you know doves and being a conspiracy conspiracy by the ammunition manufacturers. But actually, <laughs> doves are such a great a great bird for youth, and then they make because you can take them home and they make incredible table fare too. I mean, that's you know I love it for all aspects, right? We're not having to wake up crazy early. We aren't so hidden and whispering to where we can't, you know, enjoy a good conversation and wiggle around a little bit. Um, the concepts of when you miss one, even though you're heartbroken, it's not like missing that, that buck or bull of a lifetime where it's going to haunt you the rest of your life. Uh, you know, readily available as far as the opportunity to where when you hit one, your odds of recovery are pretty good, uh, you know, versus uh, a, a young, you know, hunter trying to make that flawless shot uh, and that kind of situation. So the recovery is good. Uh, then I love the aspect of cleaning the birds, you know, where when you have a, a young hunter, you know, on the big game side, say you're 12 years old, obviously we teach them using a knife and, you know, gutting or quartering an animal but it's a little harder for that that youth hunter to do that with doves you know my kids have been on opening day dove season since they were two years old and you know they love getting in there and you know breasting out the birds or plucking the birds so from the very beginning to the very end it's very friendly to youth um and it's a great way to get them into it for sure 
And, you know, you can, with doves, you can start them with maybe a 20-gauge or something, too, even a 410. You don't have to try to get the youngster putting up with the recoil of a 12-gauge. I mean, that's it. My kids are shooting single-shot 20-gauges, um, and they're nine years old. They're very small for their age, uh, and they shoot them well. So, yeah, get them started and make it happen this season. So that's, uh, that's kind of the concepts of the dove. And then I want to jump uh, to two more things before we run out of time. I want to talk about pronghorn. As I've been scouting this season, I am not hunting with archery equipment this year. I have a rifle tag, but I've still been out building plans, helping people, uh, you know, just kind of getting the overall concept to where I can, you know, help educate all the hunters out there. And with the massive amounts of water that we have, the entire season's being a hair later, I have not seen the bucks as excited around does. Now, we still have some time, but I'm not really anticipating the decoying working as well um, as it has in the past. Obviously, the water holes, if you have an active one, great, uh, but with so much water out there, I would say that the, the water hole situation is not as active as I've seen in years past. So we're doing a lot of spot and stock, getting a lot of in their path as they walk to certain places. So I'm putting a major emphasis on number one crossings, where they're crossing fences, where they're using a game trail, anywhere where they're walking on a daily basis, I'm setting up blinds and preparing to hunt them in that transition. I'm also planning a lot of spot and stock. With that, I am planning all of my approaches. So I'm watching the pronghorn and I'm seeing what they're comfortable with. You know, if they're in a field where there's open grazing and there's livestock, horses, whatever in the case may be, I'm watching if those pronghorn are used to that. I have, you know, giant cowboard decoys that look like a cow that I can hide behind and walk up on. I'm looking if they're comfortable with farming equipment. You know, is it one of those things that I need to, to utilize a tractor to hide behind? You know, if it's parked in the field, and that's my game plan. But I am studying all the outside sources this year, putting a major focus on spot and stock and transition just as i'm slightly worried that decoying in or the water hole might not be as productive not saying they're not going to work but i don't think it's going to be as productive as it has in years past so i'm really getting out there scouting for that uh with the upcoming plan to, to have a different approach than sometimes i normally would yeah i think it's that kind of a year where we really have to be whether it's fishing hunting whether it's big game upland game with the water we had early in the year, the amount of snow, the levels in our reservoirs, all those things are going to play in. There's more brush. There's more undergrowth. Um, we're still getting rain. A lot of it hasn't dried up yet. It, it, everything we do, I think we're going to have to approach differently this fall. I, I agree 100%. And then the next concept we're going to talk about, obviously our archery big game season starting early September. I want to talk about hunting mule deer with a bow. I think this is probably one of the, the most, you know, fun and kind of valued hunts that we have in the state. It is unbelievable opportunity, the amount of tags that there are to hunt mule deer with archery equipment. There's a ton of tags for archery deer still on the leftover or reissue list uh, available by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. A lot of people already have tags. And I think the opportunity to hunt mule deer early in the season is second to none. With that, I think having approach is everything. My go-to approach is to, you know, glass long range, you know, optics, you know, spotting skill, binos, find the deer from afar, watch them without an approach, even if they look like they're in a vulnerable situation, let them bed down and then approach them in their bed. And then as they get up out of their bed, they move around, that's when I am going to take my shot or have my opportunity at these animals. With that, it takes a lot of scouting. So I'm watching the animals now, and I'm just watching timing to say, hey, on average, these bucks are bedding down between – whatever, 8 and 9 a.m., I do notice that almost all of these deer move the shadows. So as the sun moves in the sky, the deer will get up and move in their beds to stay in the shadows and not sit in the sun. That's one of those vulnerable points that we find unbelievable successful with archery equipment. So once they bed down, instead of sneaking up on them in their bed, I will sneak up on the area that is sunny when I currently make my approach early in the morning or mid-morning, and then midday when those bucks get up to move to the shade, 
they'll walk right into my, my shooting lane and give me that opportunity. But those are the things that I am scouting now. I'm getting plans, understanding when they're betting, what they're kind of looking for in their betting, uh, and obviously all the animals around looking for an area that has a lot of mature deer in it to know that I'm going to have opportunity uh, come hunting day when that opens up. So a lot of scouting on all approaches, uh, but education is the leading source to putting animals on the ground and having a successful hunt here in Colorado. So, again, we, we say it every week, but get out there, scout, scout, scout. All these animals are going to have a flaw, whether it's bedding, transition, water. They're always going to do something that's going to give you an opportunity to make a successful hunt. Find what those flaws are. Find those vulnerable points. Hunt those vulnerable points, and you're going to create success at the end of the season. How much do you think the weather seems to be finally cooling down a little bit? We've been getting some monsoon rain. Do you think the cooling weather is going to be affecting the activity much? You know, I think the cooler weather definitely keeps them on their feet longer. So cloudy days, uh, rain, all of that gets them out of their beds and keeps them, you know, moving around, which we love. Uh, it Again, it's just adding to the already plentiful water source which is going to make their, their transitions and all of their, you know, daily migrations shorter. So it's a catch-22. Obviously, we love the cloudy, cooler weather, uh, but we just continue to keep delivering more and more rain, uh, which, again, is going to slow down their daily movement. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 on those regards. All right, Nate, uh, do you have any activities coming up you want to share with us? Absolutely. This coming Wednesday, we have a really big event with catch rate. So we have two catch rate events left. This weekend uh, is an exciting one, or excuse me, this coming Wednesday. So this Wednesday, August 9th, all of the carp anglers, so we fish carp European style, but we welcome all styles of angling. So whether you're going to fly fish for them or just, you know, throw bait out or however you're going to catch them or you're a true Euro carp angler, uh, we're inviting all the Euro carp anglers to come out there and I'm going to participate in this event. So between myself and our great friends at Eagle Claw, there is a $250 bonus if you catch a carp longer than mine on Wednesday. So I'm going to fish Wednesday's event. I'm going to fish against all the carp anglers out there. Uh, and again, at the end of the night, if I have a, a carp longer than everybody, uh, I'm still a first-place winner and so forth. Uh, but if they beat me, so the winning fish, if it beats my biggest fish, we have a $250 bonus for that angler. So it's an exciting one at catch rate. We encourage everybody to come out, whether you're targeting trout, walleye, bass, carp. Uh, we have a big one this coming Wednesday. We'd love to have everybody come out to Chatfield. Uh, the event runs 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. No pre-registration, $20 per angler per species. Come meet us at the North Boat Dock and uh, check it out. You can always find all the other information on our website or Facebook, everything under Tightline Outdoors. You know, the carp fishing is so underrated. It's really popular in Europe. And I know we don't tend to keep carp for table fare here, but you can. But just catching them, they're so powerful and so smart. And it's just a great challenge. And what a great fish, to, a game fish they make. I agree. Everybody overlooks them. And we talked about this. It was like, oh, we can't eat them. It's kind of a trash fish. And, you know, if you go out and actually target them, everybody catches a carp accidentally from time to time. But I encourage everybody, hey, go out on an average day and try to catch five, eight carp. It's easy to do with lake trout, walleye, pike. But with carp, it's extremely hard to do. They don't get the credit they deserve uh, for their brain power. The number two, when we do catch a giant lake trout or a giant pike, we notoriously throw back those big trophy fish anyways. So it's not a matter of a table fare kind of concept that we look at with carp. So we throw the big fish back regardless. They fight harder than anything. They're unbelievably smart. Uh, we encourage everybody to, to kind of give carp a try. Uh, there's nothing like it out there, that's for sure. All right, my friend, we'll let you go, and we will talk to you again next week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. All right, Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. We'll take a time out, and we come back. Brad Peterson's going to join us, and there is a bite going on at Boyd Lake that you just have to get out because if you can get out there, you're going to catch fish. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. little Tom Petty music. I love uh, when he was with the Traveling Wilburys. I'll tell you a story sometime how they got their name, him and Dylan and George Harrison. It's uh, kind of cute and it aggravates Karen when I tell it, so I like that story. But today, let's just go right to the phone. Joining us from Brad Peterson Outdoors is Brad Peterson. Good morning. 
Good morning, Terry. You know, we've been talking about a lot of things today, and we're going to talk some fishing with you and a lot of things that are coming up. But I think one of the things that we really, there's a bite going on. You know, people are always looking for a, a, a current bite, a way to catch fish. A lot of people only fish a few times a year, and if we can put them on a hot bite, and boy, if, if you can hit it right, those white bass at Boyd might be the ticket right now. That is absolutely right. You know, I heard Nate mentioning that a lot of people are talking about the dog days of summer and how tough the bite can be. But the the big key is, you know, focusing on what opportunities are out there right now. And at Boyd, the white bass are just going crazy. Uh, They're chasing schools of shad up in the top part of the water column. And you can catch them throwing just about anything you want to, as long as you keep it in that top two feet of water. And they are all over the lake. So it doesn't, it's not having to find a specific spot. You just kind of go out there, pay attention to what's going on, look for boils on the water, look for the birds, you know, work in an area and head over there and just start catching or casting. And, and it's a great opportunity to catch a lot of fish for, for any skill level of angler. Oh, it really is, and having them just blow up in those boils or, you know, and like you said, there's a number of lures. I know you've recently been using top waters. I like top water, the small crankbaits, jigs, even a popping cork with a piece of plastic or bait behind it, but you really don't want to mess with bait. You just the small artificials because you just want to keep casting, right? That's exactly right. I don't, when you get in those boils, they can come and go fairly quickly. So having to spend time to rebate may mean that you get a couple fewer casts out there and catch a few less fish than someone who's just using artificials. And they will hit artificials just as plentiful as live bait. So so stick with those, and it's a good time to build confidence in artificials as well. Now, are there is there some size to them? White bass tend to be either a small cousin of the wiper they tend to be more of a panfish size fish what kind of size are you seeing i'm seeing a lot of those probably nine to maybe 11 inch fish but mixed in there there are some fish in that 13 to 15 inch range and boyd is known to have white bass up to like 17 inches and i tell you what for their size white bass put up a whale of a fight they do. What what presentation are you using the most right now? Right now, I'm mainly using like a walking topwater bait. Um, the Zara Spook, the Skitter V from Rapala, those type baits, I just enjoy watching the fish come up and blow up on them. And, and just the excitement, you could do just as good with like a popper or a prop bait for a topwater. Um, and then the other ones that you can use is... Uh, you know, little spinners, little crankbaits, uh, jig and a twister. And don't overlook flies and streamers. Uh, talked to a buddy that was out there this morning. Did really good pitching flies and little, you know, inch and a half to two and a half inch streamers. Just worked real quick through those boils. And he was catching a lot of fish and did get a couple real early over that 15 inch mark. What what size and color of the little Zara spooks or those type are you using? A small one, and is there any particular color? Yeah, I'm using. I'm not using the full size ones. I'm using the smaller ones that are about three inches long, or maybe just a little over. I think they call them like the juniors, um, and white or white with pink, something that that imitates the shad. I I haven't thrown a silver, but I'm guessing a silver would work just as good. But you want something that's imitating those shad that the fish, the the white bass are up chasing. So use something with a white belly or a silver belly, and you're going to do well. And something you can cast fairly far, right? That's the nice thing about those walking baits. Even on those smaller sizes, you can get them way out there. So when you're sitting in a spot and you see those fish, you can get out there and get to them, and you don't have to motor up so close that you might spook them you can cover a much bigger swath of of water and you know the morning the bite the the boils are kind of a little bit smaller they're coming and going but man in the evening starting about 7 to seven thirty, the whole lake 
particularly on the north side, just just starts. There's boils all over. There's individual fish popping. You just kind of get in the area that the fish are in, and you can just sit there and wait. And next thing you know, there's going to be a boil within casting distance of you. Do you do any casting while you're waiting, just blind casting, or do you wait for the boils? You know, before it gets really active, um, I will do some blind casting. Typically when I'm doing that, I'm letting the lure sink a little bit deeper down that five to seven foot in the water column when I'm just blind casting. But once you start seeing those boils, it's just too much fun. I'm I'm not going to. I'm going to have my rod ready because the boils are going to pop up at any time. And that's when you want to make sure you're in that top two feet, 18 inches of the water column to get bit. What other bites are you seeing out there? If somebody wants to chase some other fish up in the northeast there, what are you seeing? Um, you know, horse tooth, they're still catching some smallmouth. Uh, they're on the main lake. The lake is still higher than normal. So the fish are spread out a little bit more than people are used to. Um, and the walleyes, because the lake is still high, there's still a few more shoreline-oriented walleyes. So with the full moon we just had, I think that you're going to have the opportunity to get out there at night, especially this weekend, and pitch the jerk baits for big walleyes close to shore or close to the dam areas. And then uh, if you're on a boat, you can do that pitching, and then I would go to uh, trolling suspended for those walleyes that are out there with the smelt and the shad, um, those are those are probably our two best bites. You can still catch walleyes out at Boyd um, on live bait, working that kind of that weed edge, that 11 to 16 foot range. But um, they're in little concentrated groups. So if you get some bites, make sure to turn around and work that area pretty hard. Um, because they're not just as spread out as they were, say, two, three weeks ago. But you definitely can still get those. And and the one thing that I love to do this time of year is it's you've got the opportunity to get up to the high country and fish those high alpine lakes to chase trout, whether it's in streams, ponds, you know, beaver ponds or, or lakes up there. Those fish are feeding big time right now. And so that's a great opportunity for people to get up get up to the mountains, enjoy them before winter arrives, because as we all know, winter's going to be here up there long before we really want it to be. Now, a couple places that haven't been fishing as well, but we should mention it in case people are planning trips. One are our northeastern reservoirs, and the other one is Glendo's experiencing a water drop. Take us through those. Yeah, the northeast reservoirs, they got hit really bad with the low water last year. And so, you know, just about from Jackson, Sterling, and Jumbo all have been fishing really tough this entire year, unless you're wanting to go out and catch carp. Now, if you're wanting to catch carp, I've heard the guys going out to Sterling are doing phenomenal out there. The one on I-76 that still is producing some fish is Pruitt, and it's producing undersized, kind of those 13, 14-inch walleyes. So if you're out in that area and want to get fishing, that's probably where I'd recommend going. You're going to catch some numbers. Be looking along the deep water near the dam. Uh, that's going to be your best area. And then any windswept shoreline. And then Glendo, every year, kind of this early August period, they open up the spit, the outlet to run water down, kind of flush the river between Glendo and Guernsey and fill up Guernsey, the lake that's right below it. So the lake starts dropping a foot or two a day. And that can make the fishing really tough. And they started that last Sunday, and it's dropped enough that the Elkhorn boat ramp and the Reno boat ramp both have been closed because it's the water level is too low. So we're probably looking at another 10 days or so of this happening. And then once it's done, it's going to take you about three to five days for the water to stabilize and those fish to start biting again and figure out where they want to be. So I would say if you're thinking about going to Glendo, stay away for a couple weeks before you head up that way. All right, Brad, if people want to book a trip with you or want more information or tell them also how they can sign up for your report. Okay, I do a a weekly newsletter, fishing newsletter, with uh, 
the latest information and then cover stocking and all that for kind of the northern part of Colorado. And you can go to nocofishing.substack.com and sign up on that. It's free and it comes out weekly. Uh, If you're looking to book a trip, go to bpo.fishing is my website. Or you can give me a call at 303-829-3998. And Facebook? Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors. All right, my friend. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Great information. Get out and take advantage of that whitefish, white bass bite. Absolutely. I'll probably see some people out on the water this week doing it. All right. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Terry. You bet. I'll tell you what, you want to see how prolific that white bass bite and Boyd can be. I did a video on one of my television shows. It's on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Now, we used little poppers, I believe, that time. You could use little crankbaits, little walking baits like Brad is doing. But if you can find those boils, I'll tell you what, we caught so many fish that we had the footage to do a television show in probably less than an hour, maybe a half an hour, and that's with talking and and putting things up. And then we just fish for fun and let the camera people fish for fun. And I, it's just one of the most phenomenal bites. If you're an experienced angler, you're still going to have fun because it's just constant action. But if you've got a boat and you want to get kids out, teach them a little bit about casting and have them catch some fish, boy, I tell you what, drift around the lake, in the areas where the boils are happening, pack a little lunch and take it with you. Just have some rods rigged up. Uh, the weather's cooling down a little bit. Sun might not be quite so intense. Any style of boat will work. And just don't rush right into the boils. Just get as close as you need to to make a cast. Or a lot of times you can just wait and they'll boil up by you. And I'll tell you what, it is one of the most phenomenal, fun ways to fish that you'll ever enjoy. So take advantage of that. Get some people out. We're going to take a time out, and we come back, we're going to switch things up, and we're going to talk some shooting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. We normally are on 104.3 The Fan. Uh, some Broncos training camp programming moved us over to our sister station. Next week, we'll be back at our normal 9-2-11 on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, uh, one of our favorite contributors, at least I say that when he's on the line, so he thinks I like him, J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. And good morning to you, my loosely saying friend, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know... Um, You've been with us for a lot of years, but usually you're, when we move over to ESPN, we're on later. So we might be talking to some people who aren't familiar with Colorado Clays right now. Why don't you give them a rundown on what you're all about? And thanks for that, Terry. You know, I always love uh, reaching out to new people to let them know what we're all about and hopefully get them here so they can truly enjoy what we are about. So Colorado Clays is Colorado's premier and uh, voted as Colorado's number one public access shooting range. Uh, we feature the very finest recreational shooting opportunities, including but certainly not limited to uh, 50 and 100-yard rifle ranges with video viewing, 25-yard uh, pistol ranges with target return system. Uh, we have traps, skeet, wobble traps, sporting clays, training traps, shotgun patterning areas, and much, much more, Terry. And, you know, now really is a very popular time to visit Colorado Clays because we have a lot going on and truly something for everyone. Uh, We're right in the middle of our event season, hosting events for everything from small family groups to corporate and fundraiser events with hundreds of people, Uh, lots of folks getting ready for hunting seasons, everything from doves, upland, waterfowl, Small game, big muzzleloader, and rifle. Of course, our summer uh, trap and sporting clays leagues are in full force. Uh, youth tournaments and, uh, and so much more, Terry. And of course, remember, are open to the public. No membership required. Recreation is shooting that is available to anyone. So, a uh, lot going on now. There really is. I want to touch on a few of those. One is muzzleloader. That season is going to be here so quick. 
And there aren't necessarily a lot of places that are muzzleloader friendly. Are you guys, do you have all the facilities set up so a muzzleloader can get ready for big game? Well, Terry, and that's a really good point. Our rifle range, which is an NRA-approved, state-of-the-art rifle and pistol or rifle range, uh, we have 50 and 100-yard target options. So a lot of the muzzleloaders need that uh, short-range target to get on paper before they push it out to 100. Uh, of course, having the video viewing at the 100. The beauty of our range, Terry, is that it is a hybrid-type range, so it's not indoor or outdoor. What we have is all the comforts of an indoor range, meaning, you know, padded seats, padded benches, uh, lights, uh, concrete area, everything you would expect from an indoor range, but downrange, it is going to be open air and natural airflow. So those muzzle loaders don't cause the smoky problem like they can in other ranges. So our uh, our uh, rifle facility is extremely muzzleloader friendly, and a lot of people take advantage of that. And as we've been saying, Terry, it's time to get on the ball because that's creeping up on us. Well, another thing I like is you can shoot from various positions at your range. A lot of guys just sight in, but they don't shoot from different from standing, sitting, laying, and it can make such a difference in the impact of your shot. Absolutely, Terry. So we do offer prone, sitting, um, standing, and even sticks. Uh, All of those are available. We actually also have a variety of different types of rests, um, some composite rests, sandbag rests, lead sleds, and everything in between available to our customers uh, to use as needed to sight in. Um, all of those are going to be factors and definitely figure out which is going to recreate the type of hunting you plan to do so you're preparing similar to how your hunt's going to be happening. You know, I want to uh, talk a little bit, too, because dove season is coming up. And, of course, we always tease a lot about doves and all that. But it's coming up here in just a couple weeks, and it can be a tremendous way not only for advanced or avid hunters to get sharp in their game or to get out and get some table fare. But to me, it's one of the very best things to breaking kids in to the shotgunning sports. And Nate Zielinski and I talked about this earlier in the show later. And I, uh, a point came to mind. We talk about your patterning board all the time and how you can tell what a, where a shotgun is hitting, the density of the pattern. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but when I was young, my first shotgun was a 410, and that was also my deer rifle. Well, <clears throat> it's almost a crime to give a kid a 410 because the pattern is so small, it's hard to hit anything. Where you maybe, I know you're trying to keep impact down, maybe, or recoil. Maybe you'd be better with a 20 gauge, even though it might have a little more recoil. You'd have such a pattern. Have you compared like a 410 to a 20 to a 12 just to see the size of the patterns? Yeah, Terry, and we've done all different ones. And here's the thing, like you say, everybody is going to be at a different point or level in their annual hunt preparation now. Uh, Some people haven't shot since last year. Uh, we got some new youth coming in. Some people have done some shooting but have particular things to work on. So it's always a good starting point, Terry, to pattern a gun. This is so that you know... um, how big your pattern is at a given distance, how your pattern uh, density is, and your pellet distribution. All of those will determine how many pellets you have on target at a given distance. And uh, some people need to move slower. They can go from the pattern board up to our training trap, shoot some straightaways, and then go down to the courses and find targets they need to work on. The youth in particular, like you say, Terry, this is a dilemma. So, yes, the 410 pattern, if you're doing it in a competitive aspect, is considered an expert gun. Yet a lot of us started out on the 410, and a lot of times it is the most appropriate because the gun isn't as heavy, the recoil isn't as much. And if you do get a new modern youth uh, type 410 with chokes and different loads available nowadays, there actually can be a very effective gun. You just need to know your limitations. And once again, that is where Colorado Clays really comes into play because you can go up to the pattern board and just see at what range you start losing the the effective pellets on target and uh, you can adjust your shooting to your effective range. Um, I'll say it's uh, one thing about shooting clays too, I've said this for years, is a clay target is very similar in size 
to the uh, area you're shooting at on a dove. So not only will you be shooting at similar size targets, but you can determine how well you're hitting them and watch your effective range and uh, do your ranging and lead uh, calculations here rather than in the field on opening day. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think if you're, I'm going to say this, if you're, if your youth can handle a 20-gauge, start them at a 20-gauge, possibly. But you know what? Experiment with some different guns. But because of the different operations of guns, the way the internal mechanics work, the way that different guns recoil, and the way they need to fit, sometimes you find that a smaller gauge doesn't necessarily give you less effective recoil either. No, Terry, and I will say one one thing on that note. Uh, the weight of the gun affects recoil a lot. So oftentimes, if you get too lightweight of a 410, I've seen some little plastic stock break action ones that actually kick more than a 20-gauge with a target load. Now, the other consideration, of course, is the stature of the, the youth or person shooting the gun. They have to be able to hold it up and handle it. Uh, if they're able to, they actually make some really good low-recoil loads, um, di many different manufacturers uh, that are low-recoil by design, and I would definitely encourage anybody that's taken their youth to a 20-gauge to look into those low-recoil and sometimes lower-velocity rounds to keep that uh, recoil anticipation out of their shot process. And then you've gotten them a gun that they can take and grow with and do a lot of hunt. A 20 gauge is a real versatile gun. You can do a lot of hunting with it. Absolutely, Terry. You can get pretty much any load um, in a 20 gauge you can in any other gauge, maybe not quite the capacity, but some of the new loads have a very good shot charge, are very effective, and sometimes I have seen 20 gauges pattern as well or better than 12 gauges uh, depending on the selection of ammo and choke. So uh, a 20 gauge is a very effective gun. Like you say, you can start with it and use it throughout your life. Uh, nothing wrong with going that route as long as uh, whoever starts with it can handle it. All right. Now, we've got big game seasons are just around the corner, and I know you haven't started your clinics yet, but I, you know how adamant I am about people not waiting till the last minute to get in with their rifles and scopes. Um, what's the timing of when you'll start offering special things there? But you can come in anytime and get help, right? Of course, Terry. Of course, our range is open to the public year-round, so anybody can come in and get started on their own. Uh, we have the uh, most knowledgeable and certified staff in the industry. So anybody could do a one-on-one -on -one lesson with one of our staff and definitely put themselves ahead. We do have our big game sighting clinics that we generally start in about September. Uh, we have rifle 101 classes throughout the year as well. So a whole variety of options for learning your rifle, learning rifle shooting, uh, making sure you have the correct optics that they're mounted on properly, and of course, finding the most effective load for your gun for the type of hunting you're going to be doing. So all of that available at Colorado Clays all year round. This might be the year, because we went through a few years where ammunition was hard to get, and you and I both preach you need to practice with what you're going to shoot with because it'll affect your impact, your travel, the way the shot, your confidence in your shot. This might be the year to experiment now with a few different shots and then buy some for both sighting in and hunting because there seems to be an abundance finally available. Yeah, lots of loads out there, Terry. The market has come back around. And 24 years of doing this, Terry, I can tell you for a fact, um, most guns have a most accurate load. <clears throat> and the difference between the inaccurate loads and the accurate loads is sometimes mind-boggling. And I'm talking a 6-inch circle at 100 yards versus six bullets nearly touching by changing nothing more than the load. So I uh, absolutely encourage everyone to consider, if you don't already have a load that you're confident with that is accurate enough for you, to look at some of the other loads out there. And, Terry, oftentimes it's not the most expensive ammo that is going to be the most accurate. So uh, consider that possibility as well. 
It really does vary by gun and load. I mean, you, to pick out a load that could be very accurate in my gun might not be the one that's accurate in yours. Absolutely, Terry. And like I say, you always want to pick a round that's going to be effective at harvesting the game you're hunting. And you need to be confident that and feel that you have the right ammo. And if you don't know, of course, ask around and uh, get those opinions. But guns vary one to the next and it's just amazing how many factors there are uh, you know twists in the barrel you just go down down the list but everyone has a personality and each ammo generally is going to perform a little bit different in that gun some t- a lot of people go after the high muzzle velocities that is not necessarily always the most accurate load and the ones that can tell you that are the hand loaders they go through this they do fractions of a grain at a time until they find the amount of powder with a particular bullet in their gun that is the most accurate and it's definitely something if you haven't seen it um, you wouldn't believe how much difference it makes last thing i want to talk about and that's the fact that i know you're really busy there and i'm of course on assignment in minnesota uh, having to fish Lake Superior and then a bunch of the walleye and bass lakes in Minnesota here. And I don't want you to feel bad for me that I'm having to take this time to do this research, but I promise you I will send you pictures so you know how hard I'm working and that the fishing is being taken care of. I have no doubt, Terry, uh, in your ability to perform your job at the highest of level, and uh, I'm sure your pictures will have a grin, um, even though I know you're just digging me. <laughs> Thank you, Jr. All right. Thanks, Terry. Hey, Jr. how do they find you? Give us a call, 303-659-7117. Go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Feel free to take the virtual tour. Um, look at our facility, see how we do things. But by all means, take the time to come check us out. Uh, like I said, Terry, we got something for everybody. All right, my friend. Have a great rest of the weekend. All right. You as well. All right. JR from Colorado Clays, great people. We'll take a quick time out and we come back. We'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on ESPN 1600. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Now, next week, we will be back on the fan at our regular time, which is 9 to 11, where our time stayed the same this week. But we'll be back at 104.3 The Fan. We broadcast typically from 9 to 11 on 104.3 The Fan. So if you discovered us on ESPN these last couple weeks as we moved over for Broncos programming, uh, follow us over. We, We try to get you into the outdoors. The whole goal of this show is to give you information to enhance your outdoor experience, whether it's find a better place to camp, catch more fish, understand hunting and where you should be at, take part in any outdoor activities, give you the information, the resources, and the places to have a good time. The outdoors is truly our passion on this show, and we try to bring that to you. It's our 26th year of doing this show, so we really appreciate everybody who follows us around started in 1998 and i said next week we'll be back on the fan we'll also be moving locations this week we're broadcasting live from the shores of lake superior i'm looking over out over gitchigumi the indians call it the inland ocean it's just one of the most spectacular beautiful rock ledge cold water lakes in the world it's uh, the whole area around us the the trees and the geology and the rivers are running here are just unbelievable, even if you don't fish. If you just want to come up here and enjoy the beauty of the North Shore of Lake Superior, uh, come up and just explore this area. As I said, we're staying at Larson's Lakeview Cabins. We had them on earlier in the show. We'll podcast that so you can hear it. I forgot to ask them about their contact information, and it's larsonslakeviewcabins.com. That's LarsonsLakeViewCabins.com, or just Google Larson's Lakeview Cabins in Grand Marais. And if you've never come up and explored this part of the world, spent some time, whether in a cabin or a day trip, if you're staying somewhere else in Minnesota, or there's lots of lodging like here at uh, Larson's, 
Uh, it's just phenomenal. Even if you don't fish, just to go out and explore the area, the beauty of this area, the hardwood trees, the it's just unbelievable. And we're just a few miles from the Canadian border. In fact, Karen and I are probably going to take a drive in a, when we get done with the show up the Gunflint Trail, which is one of the most famous areas in the wilderness, which leads you to the boundary waters and to restricted areas where there's just you're back in the wilderness with no motors, no boats, and it's just it's just an incredible place. Next week, we will be located at Little Winnie Resort. We'll tell you more about that next week. We were there last year, too, but that's in the heart of the more warm water species of fishing in Minnesota. Uh, we'll be there. Uh, we'll fish Lake Big Winnie or Winnebogoshish, uh, Red Lake, Cass Lake, Leech Lake, and thousands and thousands of small to mid-sized lakes with walleyes, bass, large and smallmouth, uh, panfish, crappies are great this time of the year, big pike. So we're going to have a lot of that to talk about and, and share with you uh, and put it on our Facebook. Uh, follow us on Facebook at, at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Um, we'll, we Up on our Facebook page, we tell you if we change our time and channel for broadcast that weekend, we, we put podcasts up there of a lot of the interviews. Like, I'm sure we'll put a podcast up about Brad with the white bass and Austin with the fishing and Nate with the hunting. We'll all make it to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook during the next few days because they're timely topics. We also put links to videos. Talked about that white bass. Maybe I'll have Karen even put a link to our, our white bass video since it's so going on right now so you can follow it. Also, you can follow us on our music podcasts and our music uh facebook page which is wickstrom and dobreth and on all social media and streaming services we have uh five songs out there now that you can stream on virtually every service and we will be uh, adding another one hopefully here in the next few weeks i want to say thanks to dante for making this work we had to work through some technical issues but we made it work and karen for putting the show together and make me sound like i know what i'm doing at least she tries And thank all of you for listening. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on ESPN. She's